The United States has always been, and still is, a British crown colony. King James I was famous not for just changing the Bible into the King James Version, but for signing the first Charter of Virginia in 1606. That charter granted America's British forefathers a license to settle and colonize America. The charter also guaranteed that future kings and queens of England would have sovereign authority over all the citizens and colonized land in America stolen from the Indians. After America declared its independence from Great Britain, the Treaty of 1783 was signed. That treaty specifically identifies the King of England as the Prince of the United States and contradicts the belief that America won the War of Independence. Although King George III of England gave up most of his claims over his American colonies, he kept his right to continue receiving payment for his business venture of colonizing America. If America had really won the War of Independence, they would never have agreed to pay debts and reparations to the King of England. When Congress passed the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, the U.S. President was made subservient to the King of England. The 13th Amendment is called the Title of Nobility Amendment and forbids U.S. Presidents and their officials from using royal titles like King or Prince or Baron. For some mysterious reason, the 13th Amendment, which was ratified in 1810, no longer appears on current copies of the Constitution. America's blood-soaked war of independence against the British bankrupted America and turned its citizens into permanent debt slaves of the king. In the War of 1812, the British torched and burned to the ground the White House and all U.S. government buildings and destroyed ratification records of the U.S. Constitution. One century later, a corrupt U.S. Congress committed the biggest theft in world history. They passed Paul Warburg's Federal Reserve Act in 1913, handing over America's gold and silver reserves and total control of America's economy to the Rothschild banksters. Most Americans still believe that the Fed or Federal Reserve is the government. It is not. The Fed is a privately owned banking system whose majority Class A shareholders are the Rothschilds, Warburgs, Kuhn and Loeb, J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller, Israel Seif, and the Lehman Brothers. This private banking cartel is the Fed and is never audited and never pays taxes. They print and design America's money, which displays their symbols of an Egyptian pyramid, a Masonic all-seeing eye, and the words, in God we trust. Who exactly is the God they trust? They also collect American taxpayers' money through the IRS. Then they loan it back again with interest to pay for roads, bridges, and other public works. American presidents are hand-picked and financed by these special interest power groups. Like George W. Bush, John Forbes Carey, whose initials are JFK, is a member of Yale University's Skull and Bones Brotherhood. The Forbes part of John Kerry's name identifies his descendancy from Captain Robert Bennett Forbes, who was a drug runner for the Rothschild's opium drug trade with China in the 1800s. Most U.S. citizens believe that the United States is a country and that the president is the most powerful man on earth. The United States is not a country. It is a corporation, and the president is president of the Corporation of the United States. He and his elected officials work for the corporation, not for the American people. Since the United States is a corporation, who owns the Corporation of the United States? 
Like Canada and Australia, whose leaders are prime ministers of the Queen and whose land is called Crown Land, the United States is just another Crown Colony. Crown Colonies are controlled by the empire of three city-states. At the center of each city-state is a towering, phallic-shaped stone monument called an obelisk that points skyward. In D.C. city-state, the obelisk, known as the Washington Monument, was dedicated to Freemason George Washington by the Freemason Grand Lodge of the District of Columbia. The Constitution was a fraud, a total fraud. The Founding Fathers were lawyers, they were liars, they were frauds. They sold out their own people. The United States, the colonies, never won the Revolutionary War. It was a backdoor Masonic deal to limit the battle damage, make it look like a war, and keep the profits going for England and for the wealthy, elitist, lawyerly families like the founding quote-unquote fathers in the colonies. And basically, the, really, the reason it appeared for so long that Americans had these rights and so-called rights and freedoms for so long, for first a few decades anyway, after the Revolutionary War. It was mostly to do with geography, folks. It, it was not in the documents of the Constitution. The Constitution does not apply to the common man, as we're about to find out. Not even the Declaration of Independence applied to the common man, as we are about to find out. And if you go back in history, things like even the Magna Carta, they're worthless documents. They're worth about the same as a toilet paper roll. Until then, everything you have that you think are rights, they are actually privileges. And that we've, we're in slavery, we always have been. And it's, it's just, this, it's remarkable that even people who get it, uh, they all still will hearken back occasionally to this constitution as being somehow a fount of, of liberty for Americans and they don't know that it's completely faulty. Be they, they should know better, basically, is what I'm trying to say because the constitution, you're still dealing there with man's law. It's weird. The propaganda you're fed in school about the, the founding fathers, the framers of the constitution, it's like people who really get it and in a, already you're in rarefied company if you get it and you understand that, that history is a fraud. However, there was this one time in history, this one completely atypical time, when you had a few honorable lawyer, lawyers get together in, the, in colonial America and, and write this wonderful document to set mankind free. That was the one time when mankind became noble. The one time when, when no lawyers became noble. That was it. The one time. And they were, come on. Doesn't that right there, the picture I just painted, all of mankind's history, all of mankind's laws, it's all about tyranny and profits is what it's really all about. Profits. But there was this one time when it, that didn't apply. The <laughs> As Americans, we have been taught that we defeated the king and won our freedom. 
the next document I will use is the Treaty of 1783, which will totally contradict our having won the Revolutionary War. See footnote 2. I want you to notice in the first paragraph that the king refers to himself as Prince of the Holy Roman Empire and of the United States. You know from this that the United States did not negotiate this treaty of peace in a position of strength and victory, but it is obvious that Benjamin Franklin, John Jay, and John Adams negotiated a treaty of further granted privileges from the King of England. Keep this in mind as you study these documents. You also need to understand the players of those that negotiated this treaty. For the Americans, it was Benjamin Franklin Esquire, a great patriot and standard-bearer of freedom. Or was he? His title includes Esquire. An Esquire, in the above usage, was a granted rank and title of nobility by the king, which is below knight and above a yeoman or common man. Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and John Jay, as you can read in the treaty, were all esquires, and were the signers of this treaty, and the only negotiators of the treaty. The representative of the king was David Hartley, esquire. Benjamin Franklin was the main negotiator for the terms of the treaty, he spent most of the war traveling between England and France. The use of Esquire declared his and the others British subjection and loyalty to the crown. In the first article of the treaty, most of the king's claims to America are relinquished except for his claim to continue receiving gold, silver, and copper as gain for his business venture. Article 3 gives Americans the right to fish the waters around the United States and its rivers. In Article 4, the United States agreed to pay all bona fide debts. I wonder if you have seen the main and obvious point. This treaty was signed in 1783. The war was over in 1781. If the United States defeated England, how is the King of England granting rights to America when we were now supposedly his equal in status? We supposedly defeated him in the Revolutionary War. So why would these supposed patriot Americans sign such a treaty when they knew that this would void 
any sovereignty gained by the Declaration of Independence and the Revolutionary War. If we had won the Revolutionary War, the king granting us our land would not be necessary. It would have been ours by his loss of the Revolutionary War. To not dictate the terms of a peace treaty in a position of strength after winning a war means the war was never won. 